0: It's really good to be uh, here with you. Um, So yeah, I'm going to talk about the way in which uh, the internet, new media is affecting news media in all its forms, uh, to talk about what might be coming next in terms of technology, content, formats and really importantly consumer behavior and um as john says you know i've been involved uh from the start of the beauty news website and start of, of digital news in many ways and i think in the it's fair to say in the first sort of 10 years of that 15 years of that nothing much really changed once we did that initial thing of getting websites up there <clears throat> but over the last few years i think we've seen a number of really significant breakthroughs technological breakthroughs which are starting to transform the news experience and I think when you put all those things together, I think we're, um, uh, that kind of amounts to a second digital revolution, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So um, the three disruptive forces that I think are at the heart of that are mobile, social and video and visual, not video, visual. And uh, I'm going to spend about 35 minutes talking about those, and then hopefully we have a really good discussion about what that means for business and practice of journalism. We've done this, so I won't go on about that. Right. Uh, Social, mobile and visual, I think a lot of that comes together in this uh, picture, which you might have seen before, uh, which kind of sums up how far we've come. So the first picture was, uh, these are pictures of people in St. Peter's Square in Rome waiting for the inauguration of a new Pope. And sort of the first picture in 2005, you see people who kind of look a little bit lost so they, they, they might they might have um, I don't know uh, heard a TV or radio news bulletin in the morning and they might have read something in, in the papers but they are slightly disconnected from from the real from what's going on in real time in a way that people in the second picture aren't so in 2013 not all of those people but huge numbers of those people have this incredibly powerful Connected device in their hands, and that changes things in a number of ways. So it has given traditional media companies the ability to communicate with them in real time, to bring real, real time news into the square, so nobody's ever out of touch. But secondly, and really importantly, it's allowed those people themselves to tell their own stories, to shape their own narratives of what's happening, and to distribute become their own media companies, distribute that that throughout their own networks. And I think that's a really, really significant change summed up in that slide. So um, if we look, uh, so I'm going to talk in turn about mobile, social, and visual as the disruptors. We start with um, mobile specifically. So just a few years ago, literally a few years ago, the average news website was getting maybe one to two to 5% of its traffic from mobile. Today, on average, publishers are reporting that one third of their traffic, 30% or so, is coming from mobile phones. During the Olympics, as you can see there, 60% of all the traffic to the London 2012 website, 60% came from mobile phones, not from tablets, from mobile phones specifically. This year, during the Boston bombings, the New York Times reported that 50% of their traffic during that event came from mobile phones. and. The BBC and The Guardian have been through tipping points this year, where more traffic at various times has come from mobile and tablets than it's come from, from, from the web, and that's the tipping point essentially this year. This is some data from our latest Reuters digital news report, which shows that general use in the UK uh, of smartphones is now at around 50% of common shows similar figures. Uh, About 75% of those people, so 29% are using their phones for news every week, using their smartphones for news every week. And that is even higher in some countries. So um, countries like Denmark, I don't know if there's anyone here from Denmark, incredibly high levels of digital access now, both on tablets and on on mobile phones. And then a few other countries are slightly lagging behind, so Germany and France uh, lagging behind a little bit, but still growing very fast. And then if you explode that figure further, you can see that a lot of this mobile usage in particular, as opposed to tablet, a lot of mobile usage is being driven by a particular demographic. So 25 to 44-year-olds are really driving a lot of the growth that we've seen in the last few years, whereas a tablet is much more evenly spread as a demographic. And if you, it, of those people, over a third now, in our latest survey, say that mobile is their main source of digital news mobile phone, that little screen, and imagine uh, telling people that was going to be the case a few years ago. So it's hard to overestimate how far and how fast smartphones and to an extent tablets are changing the news consumption experience, particularly for that demographic. Just to give you a flavour of it, here's a group of people uh, talking on the streets of Oxford about how they have changed their uh, news habits in the last few years uh, and why I get most of my news from a smartphone or tablet, I'm not, not a newspaper or a computer. It's more interactive, you can press something to play, um, you can scroll through it quite quickly. Nowadays I get the news mainly through tablets and smartphones uh, surfing the web. I mean half of the news on so newspapers and another half on smartphones and tablets very much uh, more addicted to news, I check them uh, every now and then, I also when I'm waiting at, uh, for the bus or having a coffee, so uh, it's m- much more frequent. Maybe it's a less uh, deep, it's more superficial, but it's more frequent. Before- I wasn't very much focused on reading the news on a daily basis, but now because stories come in so frequently and they are so succinct and you get just the headline and you can get a real overview of what's going on, I'm much more into reading the news. So an entirely representative sample of Royce's Fellows and other people associated with the Royce's Institute. Um, but obviously backed up by the uh, quantitative evidence from our surveys. Um, But I think illustrative, uh, you know, you'll all know how how you're personal media experience has changed and it hasn't changed for everyone in the same way but it, it, it's changing uh, significantly and that's really important because we find that these devices are encouraging people to actually consume more news so that's uh, our surveys found out found and the Pew survey all found that in aggregate people are consuming more news also um, it's extending the range of access points the more devices people have, the more frequently they access. So this is uh, actually data from the US, but it's pretty similar in other other countries. So 56% of all news users access several times a day. If you have a smartphone, that figure rises to 76% accessing several times a day. And if you have a tablet and a computer as well, so you have all three, then that rises to 89% uh, a day. And so I think what that speaks to is the um, Actually, the increasing addictive nature of of, of mobile. I'm sure you've seen the, the the data that was been around a lot this year. How many times people look at their mobile phones every day on average? it <laughs> a guess. 200, very close. <laughs> yeah, about 150. <laughs> is a a, a but <laughs> obviously, that's not 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 all for news, but that gives you a sense of, I guess how we need to think about content differently because if people are you know, snacking and coming in 150 times a day they're not going to uh, read a thousand word article in the same way they're not going to watch a uh, a traditional television news bulletin. It really raises significant questions about what kind of content you need to create for the mobile phone and how that needs to be different from, from some of those other devices. Um, so this is where we are today, I mean, but it's worth thinking about because we're still quite at the early stages of the mobile revolution, so, uh, so what's, what's it going to look like in a few years' time if this is where we are today? So one of the biggest trends we're seeing is uh, obviously the screens themselves are getting bigger. So because more people are using these devices now for applications rather than uh, necessarily phone calls, or more than they do for phone calls then the screen itself becomes much more important and maximizing the size of that screen. That's why a big trend this year has been the the growth of this ghastly term, the phablets, the cross between the tablet and the, and, and the smartphone. And you know, it's just been a whole succession of launches this year. So at the beginning of the year you had Samsung S4, the Samsung Mega, um, Windows and Nokia have, have just got in the last week with their whole range of, of you know, big, big size um, smartphones. And then aligned with that, you the, the cost obviously is, is coming down and in general, Although it's a bit slow and frustrating, the reliability and speed of the connections is changing. So the arrival of uh, 4G, actually the UK is way behind uh, probably many of the countries that you come from. Kazakhstan, Angola, well ahead of the UK in delivering 4G technologies but over the next few months, all of the major networks in the UK will be rolling out 4G. Even in Oxford, we might get a good signal. And, um, and crucially, it's not just about speed, it's also about reliability of the network. So 4G actually, technology, from, from a technology point of view, brings a lot more reliability. And then the other thing that I think makes uh, these connected devices different and uniquely powerful and will do over the next few years is the built-in payment mechanisms. So currently, to an extent, you have this through the Amazon and Apple infrastructure. But uh, I think what's coming is uh, integration essentially of your wallet, of of your plastic credit cards into your mobile phone. So the digital payment mechanisms will just be built in and uh, the whole process of paying for anything will become uh, much more frictionless. And uh, in, in this way, you know, the mobile phone, and, and also with that comes a whole load of transparency that all of your transactions are collected together, you can see exactly what you've spent. That whole sort of uh, putting the consumer in, in, in a great position of power comes with that pulling everything together into that single connected device that does everything there are a lot of, of big implications for that so it's the mo- the mobile phone as your connected hub for managing your life essentially that's that's where we're heading and part of that is we're also then going to see devices that connect to the hub and we're already seeing those so the so-called fifth screen so this year we've seen um, the start just the start of wearable technology so essentially these are add-ons to the smartphone. Um, and so uh, here you've got a couple of smartwatches, uh, the one you probably heard about is, is, is Galaxy Gear which launched uh, quite recently and is absolutely an add-on to the, um, to the Samsung range, you can't, you can't use it with other, uh, but it's got apps, you can get football results on it, weather, um, alerts get pushed to your, to, to your smartwatch, you can make phone calls etc. The one on the left uh, is, is one of the companies that really pioneered this, called Pebble, which actually was funded through Kickstarter and crowdfunding, and is a very successful very successful in the States and has early mover advantage on, on smartwatch. Obviously, we know that uh, Apple are thinking about an iWatch and are rumoured to be launching an iWatch early next year. So, so this whole sort of wearable add-ons um, is, is coming, and then um, other devices that connect to the hub. Uh, we've seen the launch of wearable screens or um, glasses. Uh, that again, talk to your smartphone. So, uh, Voo, the one on the le- left is already available. Vuzix Voo, wearable headwear. The one on the right is actually uh, being used as a journalist. So, Tim Pool, who you may be aware of, uh, who, who's a journalist and one of the new breed of technologically. Minded journalists has been using these kind of tools in Turkey because the smart uh, spectacles essentially are uh, taking the pictures and transmitting them live um, as you look at, at what's going on. So in some senses, it could be safer for journalists, but certainly it's giving more um, immediacy. So we're starting to see these these tools being used in the field as well. So mobiles, um, mobiles for news is really about all kinds of things, <laughs> but but you know fundamentally, I think it's about speeding up the news cycle. It's about getting, um, changing the nature of news, getting more compressed news, it's about personalised news, it's about more localised news, Um, it's going to be about changing the business models, operating premium services, enabling that, that, that ability to sell news content in different ways. It's about all of these things and we don't obviously know exactly how that's going to pan out. What we do know is that news companies are beginning to wake up and to change what they do as a result of the mobile trends. They have really got mobile in the last year in a significant way. So just three examples of that. So the first one is uh, I suppose big brands like the New York Times, the BBC and others who are essentially refocusing the way they produce content. So, They have now teams of people who've started to produce compressed news or bite-sized news so this is just the new york times twitter feed but essentially now there's there's groups of people who are assigned uh, if not 24 hours a day most of the time to craft content um, for that real-time mobile social work Um, the bbc has a team of news writers who do this across uh, twitter and um, email and sms alerts uh, and live blogs and the rest of it so you have teams and newsrooms being developed to do that the FT this year uh, set up this thing called Fast FT, which is essentially the same kind of thing, but with a with, with a business focus. Um, the second one is ITV News, which um, was not doing terribly well in the UK, so it basically threw away the article. It said, right, we're going to redesign, this is last year, redesign our entire website on the basis of social and mobile. So social and mobile first, thinking about whatever we know, we're going to do it first on uh, just by putting a short... Bit up there. We're going to retrain our entire journalistic operation to um, tell people via the website what's happening first, and we won't even bother to put things into context with a with an 800 or 1,000 word article. And it's working out pretty well for them in terms of at least getting a presence and a distinctive spot in the in the media landscape. And the one on the right is a um, is one of the new brands that is basically started as a business thinking about. The mobile first so essentially it's designing a whole service for a younger mobile and social audience called now this news and they do little videos basically aimed at the mobile phone and aimed at a particular younger demographic um, and it's pretty good i mean uh, and and i actually get a lot of my news that way now so lance armstrong um, video that uh, oprah winfrey did they cut up 120 seconds they alerted me my mum via the mobile phone I watched 120 seconds, I didn't need to read about it in the paper the next day, I didn't need to watch a legacy news provider tell me about it later in a waffly long way. It was like immediate, I had everything I needed and I could move on. So that's the way obviously a lot of people are, are, are getting their news now and it has significant implications for journalism. So that's, that's mobile. Uh, we shouldn't forget the tablet, which is the other part of this revolution. and I, I'm in a way not categorizing it as mobile at the moment because um, actually if you look at how it's used, it's still primarily um, used in a lean back mode and mainly in the home. It's changing a little bit with, with smaller tablets, but that's uh, the current situation. But the main thing from this chart is just the growth. So between our survey this year and last year, actually there were only 10 months in between them. You can see the tablet usage for news has pretty much doubled in all of the countries that we looked at last year. So the UK, eight percent to sixteen percent; these are for news, not not total figures. These are for news. The US, eleven to sixteen percent, and that's expected to pretty much double again this year. So the rate, as you know, of people buying tablets and using them for news is is growing uh, fastest of all. The figures I'm quoting are uh, yeah, our news usage. In the UK, almost 30% of households today have access to a tablet, uh, and by the end of the year that's expected to be around 40% of households. And uh, Most of the growth is going to come not from the 9-inch versions, but from the 7-inch, which are much, much more mobile, so we may see the tablet um, becoming more mobile. Uh, interestingly the cost has now come down uh, to such an extent I think a 7 inch tablet you can get for £79, something like that, so you know, under that critical £100 mark where effectively anybody who wants a tablet, pretty much anyone who wants a tablet is going to be able to have a tablet and, and will get one over the next few years at some stage. It also is now down a level where the devices themselves are starting to be bundled, so the content and the distribution are being bundled together. Uh, so this is an example, but actually if you look at uh, a lot of the digital offers that people are trying to get people into subscriptions, they normally come with some kind of uh, inducement that might not go as far as giving away a whole tablet, but it, it it will certainly be tablet related or be covers or um, but potentially um, you know if you look at lifetime value, giving away a, a tablet is a very cheap way of acquiring uh, customers. So we're going to start to see more of that kind of thing. So the underlying story that I'm talking about here is really a multi-platform one if you put together tablet and, uh, and mobile. So where people are accessing through a variety of devices and add-ons. So this was the picture a year ago, so in 2012, uh, 62 people, 62% of people just accessing via the computer. Um, and then you've got the bubble for smartphone, uh, pretty big, and then the tablet, pretty small. And that's what's happened over the last year. So just in the last year, it's gone from there to that. So you can kind of extrapolate out, okay, in a few years' time, it's just gonna be all of those things together and people will use across the day. At the moment, um, what we find is about 33% of people, about a third are using um, more than uh, two devices and 10% in the UK are using more than three devices. Uh, And that's up significantly from last year as as digital access comes. So, but the key point here is, of course, you know, it's not just about digital. This chart shows that in the UK, so this is looking at tablet users, so of tablet users in the UK, 80% of those people are also watching television news at least once a week. And 60% also read a printed newspaper which is pretty much on the overall general average. In other words, tablet users are no less likely and no more likely to read a printed newspaper at least once a week. Now they may be reading it less often than they used to, um, but they're not not reading printed newspapers as well at the moment. Now we are seeing a little bit of substitution in the the States, so this is not necessarily the same in every country, but at the moment the impact seems to be more on people's time that they're spending with individual platforms rather than actually stopping people using platforms that they've grown up with uh, in the past. So in general um, what we see is digital adding to the complexity, it's adding to choice, it's not replacing traditional forms of media, that's the American stuff. So this is another view of the multi-platform uh, world from a um, recent study by Ofcom, uh, and I really like just this, this kind of picture because it's similar to what happens in our house sometimes, or used to. Um, so what they find is, is increasingly connected individuals consuming in total far more media, Sometimes uh, together as a, as a group, sometimes separately, um, uh, but basically at the same time. So they've come up with a number of phrases to describe these phenomena. So you might be watching a television programme uh, and you might at the same time be talking about that television programme to people who aren't in the room via social media or email. So they call that media meshing. And that's when the, there is a relationship between what's on the first screen and what they're doing on the second screen. And then there's another concept called media stacking, which is what most people do, which is they kind of have half an eye on what's on the radio or the television, but they're actually doing their emails or doing their homework or doing something completely different. So the figures are that basically most people here, when they're using smartphones and tablets while watching, are doing media stacking, so they're doing unrelated things. Uh, But a significant number are also, you know, at least once a month or once a week sharing uh, what's going on on the first screen and obviously that's a big growth area you've probably seen all the stuff going on with Facebook and Twitter and TV companies trying to encourage that kind of behavior more we're going to see a huge amount more of that over the next uh, year or so. But the issue for news is is basically the increasing battle for attention so in that kind of world where there are so many diversions in the living room or, or on, the, you know, on your smartphone wherever how do you get people to sit down and watch something serious? How do you get people to, to watch a serious current affairs program or, or read a long investigative when there's so many distractions going on? Um, and how does journalism respond to that? You know, do, do, does it basically just create lots of bite-sized news or, or does it try and find other ways to engage people um, uh, And. Come to terms with this world that is uh, is is very different. I think it's one of the biggest biggest issues uh, affecting news, and we're going to see more and more of that. So here's another view of that same issue from a different angle from our Reuters digital news report. So this is a view of where people are consuming news. This is UK data, and what devices they're using uh, in each location. So you can see the picture here in the communal space on the left, and in the personal space on the left, you can see. At home, you've got all these devices, and people are using them all the time. So, TV is still the main device in the living room, but you can see how all these other printed newspapers, um, uh, internet by computer, internet by mobile, tablets—you know—they're all in the living room at the same time. That's the picture you saw before of, of people. Uh, but you can see that actually in the in, in work, the the distractions are different. The distractions are obviously about work, and the PC remains the primary way in which people are getting news uh, and information. Uh, with the mobile phone number two. What's interesting is public transport, which was very much uh, a place where um, printed newspapers was was number one. Uh, the mobile phone's now taken over, according to our data in the UK, and it's now the most important way, primary way in which people are accessing news. Um, with newspapers, printed newspapers, the white one second at 34%. And you can see tablets pretty low. So, internet by tablet, one on the right, only 6%. Quite interesting. If you look at people on the on the underground or public transport, mostly if they're using tablets, they're watching videos. So this again goes back to my point about the battle for attention. You know, the, the entertainment didn't have a place on the commute. It was a place for news, a place for reflection, a place for reading. Uh, it isn't anymore. That's a that that's that's a huge change. So just because those yeah, if the tablet becomes more popular, it won't necessarily be good for news on, on, on the commute, but the mobile phone currently is still incredibly is very important. And the only place where you can get undivided attention, or pretty much undivided attention, is in the car, where radio is still completely dominant. So you can see how all of these media types remain important, and you can see how newspapers is no longer number one in any of those uh, locations. Um, Worryingly, 13% of people are using their mobile phones while driving or or in the car. That that is extremely worrying. Another trend I'm sure we'll hear much more about. So, I've spent a lot of time on that one, so I will spend less time on the others. Um, So, second big uh, disruptor, the second big disruptor, social. So, just a couple of quick examples. So, the first one, Barack Obama, when he uh, won his election in November, Sent out a tweet, four more years, Uh, it was the most retweeted in history, but I think it's really interesting that he chose to announce his victory in this way. So it was a carefully stage-managed thing, where they chose the picture that they were going to use on election night, essentially saying what picture can we get on the front pages of newspapers, how can we manage that process, and they chose to announce it through his own channels, through Facebook and Twitter and uh, it kind of worked. That, that, that was a picture that you saw on every uh, pretty much every newspaper the following day. It was the front cover of The Economist. Uh, so what you see there is, is politicians starting to flex their, their digital uh, muscles and, and sort of reversing um, the nature of, of, of news management. Uh, the second example is uh, one that was from the beginning of last year. So, in this era of giant social networks, you don't need the traditional gatekeepers now to sell your content to find an audience. So, this uh, Kony 2012, um, uh, 30 minute video about um, conflict in Central Africa, really difficult subject, 100 million views, uh, and many of those were younger people. Uh, and it became one of the world's most viral news videos. No marketing budget. It engaged young people around the world to take direct action. It uh, led to a debate and resolution in the U.S. Senate. Imagine how many people would have watched that documentary on a public service television channel at 8 o'clock in the evening. In comparison, so it's no longer true that the only way you can get mass audiences is to use traditional channels. In many cases, you're now getting bigger audiences through uh, these new social. Channels. If you get the, if you get the mix right, um, another example topical example from the last week or so. So the Saudi comedian and social activist here, drawing attention to the driving ban in Saudi Arabia with a video that reached eight million people, eight million views. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's great. There's some fantastic. Uh, Lyrics about ovaries, and uh, which is a satire on, on, a, on a Saudi cleric who said that they, uh, women can't drive because it would damage their ovaries. Um, some some great lyrics. So so what you see here is you know some of this stuff obviously became popular because it was picked up and amplified by mainstream media. So we know that's a that's a factor. Um, but comedians, politicians, activists can now find audiences of their own, um, and the reasons for that are. The strength and growth of these uh, massive social networks. So um, primarily Twitter and uh, Facebook and YouTube, those are really the only ones that matter, the main ones that matter. And I suppose the, um, there, are, there are two aspects. So one is just the size of them. So Twitter, 215 million active weekly users I think the, uh, Twitter said in their IPO. So now really big and we shouldn't forget Twitter has grown enormously in the last year. So Twitter has been the biggest growing network. Um, So previously just, just for influencers, in the last year become much bigger and become much more mainstream. Uh, and probably increasingly so as it goes uh, as it goes past its IPO. Facebook, we know 1.6 um, billion people primarily not using it for news, but news is a major part of, um, of what people send and share. Share and YouTube, six billion hours of video, and we all know the role that it's played in um, conflicts and, and, and uh, disturbances around the world. What's interesting is that there are also these, these huge international differences about what people do with social networks. So the extent to which people feel they are able to express themselves socially is very different depending on which country you're, you're talking about. So um, it's one of the, I haven't gone into it in detail here, but it's one of the things we explore in the, in the digital report. We ask people about all kinds of things, and this is just looking at whether they share a news link. But um, in general, the uh, British people are not terribly sharey. <laughs> they're not terribly. They do a bit of it, but, but they're not they're not like they're not like the Americans who do it about twice as much. So they share about they share about not twice as many. They're twice as likely to share news links as as, as British people, Germans and Japanese even less likely to uh, to share. So um, feel less comfortable about, about doing it. Uh, whereas the Brazilians, Southern Europeans, Italians, Spanish um, do huge amounts of, of sharing and it, it's, you know, it's partly linked obviously to, to, to oral cultures as well um, but uh, it's worth bearing in mind that not every country is different, that not every country is the same and uh, you know, that carries through to what I think is one of the biggest impacts of social um, for news which is the way in which people discover news is changing and becoming more social. So even if you're not out there sharing links or communicating, actually for the listening and discovering of news, sharing is now becoming really important. And and in our data, we find that social media is beginning to rival search and even brand as a primary way in which many people now find news stories. Again, here's a representative sample from the streets of Oxford. Of how, of how that works in practice. Social media, you can subscribe to apps on Facebook, um, you can see what your friends have read, and all the time you you, you click through and you see it and you read it on social media. If anything causes me to read an article compared to anything else. I use social media a lot. All the media houses that they have, Facebook pages, I like them, and I follow them on Twitter. So there are journalists I follow, I keep a close eye on who's finding what stories, and that's how I get my news, mostly. So, um, it's clearly important that journalists engage with uh, with people in social media, but it's also about finding new ways of injecting uh, Traditional content into those communities, into those places where people are spending their time. Uh, this just shows the quantitative picture around discovery of news. So um, what you hear, see here is, is the UK and the US, and you see that um, in aggregate, that search. So the blue one is uh, sorry. Let's look at um, let's look at the UK. So in the UK, the red one, you have brand. So we ask people, wh- how do you find news in the first place? How do you get to news? and um, brand is still number one in the UK if you ask people generally, Uh, and then it's search and then it's social. Uh, Whereas in the US, search is the most important and then social and then uh, brand is third. But if you look at it by age, you see a very different picture. So um, In in this one you see that people who, this is comparing social and search, so for younger people they're twice as likely to find news via social media than they are through search, whereas for older people they're three times more likely to find news through search than through social media. So there's very much a generational uh, split at the moment in terms of how people find it, how people are using these networks, uh, and it would be really interesting to see how that changes over, over, over time. So. That was social media. The third disruptor that I wanted to talk about was uh, visual. Um, so until recently the internet was mainly around uh, about words and pictures um, because because of the constraints of bandwidth, the constraints of technology, uh, standards, all the rest of it, uh, made it very hard to create complex things within a web environment that didn't require all kinds of plugins and additional additional issues. But one by one all of those things are dropping away and what what the internet is becoming is a much more visual medium. So we're getting used to increasingly consuming content more visually. We're, we're getting used to navigating content uh, using visual interfaces like the Windows one on the, on the left there. Um, we uh, we have now have all these, these sort of apps that tell us in real time using graphs and visualizations how well we're doing on our fit risk regime. Uh, maybe in the past, if you wanted to know about Big Idea, you might read a book. Um, now maybe a 10-minute TED talk is enough. And the one on the right is is an amazing sort of visualization by Hans Rosling, you might have heard of him, an uh, academic who, deal, who, who does this amazing visualization, tells the story of the world's mortality and how nations have risen and fallen in about five minutes minutes—it's the most extraordinary storytelling with, uh, with visual. We're getting much more used to, we come to expect stories to be told more quickly, more visually than ever before. And that's really affecting news and the kind of formats that you see now. I mean, it, it, you know, everything from BuzzFeed to um, us versus them here in the, in the UK are all using these new visual techniques for, uh, for storytelling. So this is uh, Snowfall. I'm sure you've seen it before from New York Times. So a brilliant piece of multimedia storytelling about a tragic avalanche on the west coast of the U.S. And you can see this doesn't feel like a web page. Uh, technically, this is just using the new standards of the web. So it's using HTML5, um, it's using CSS, and it's using JavaScript. So that those three sort of core, quite simple front-end technologies. Are transforming the news experience. Previously you could only do this kind of thing with a, uh, a CD wrong. Uh So it's, uh, and the other thing that's interesting about this is the way in which it was put together. So um, the New York Times they spent a lot of time doing it, <laughs> months doing it, but they had you know editors and designers and uh, technologists uh, all working together to produce something like this. So in in terms of words and pictures, the journalist goes and writes it and does it all themselves. This is about how, as a team, it's more like television production in a way. It's it's how storytelling on the internet can become more televisual. And um, what you see in general is many, many organizations trying to snowfall at least a part of what they do. So this was the Guardian's uh, firestorm on a theme, uh, you might have seen. So, um, you know, where they basically tried to do but just a little bit better using some some different techniques, but essentially it's just using the, the, the same stuff. Um, the BBC uh, set up a um, visual journalism unit uh, recently to essentially do the same thing, to work out how to tell platform-neutral stories using multimedia techniques. So it's the combination of graphics and video um, and bringing together technologists and designers and 3D model model people into the newsrooms to try and work out how to tell stories across platforms in this new visual way. Uh, and I think that's going to be a big part of the future. One of the reasons um, it's going to be important is because of the Internet's ability to deliver multimedia experiences. This is a slightly odd chart, which I'm slightly bastardising, but it's essentially looking at what happens between today and 2020 in terms of kind of over-the-top television, over-the-top video on the internet. This is some Bell Research Lab research. The purple there, the pink, is OTT video, over-the-top video. So this is basically video that doesn't come via your television provider. So it's um, that's why it's called over-the-top. So it's like le- Netflix or it's like video you might come over the, over the internet but you might watch on any screen. Um, so, some, you know, a, a BBC iPlayer um, would be an example of an over-the-top service. And what you see is that's going to move from a relatively 11% to around, uh, if you include cloud video, about 70% of the market uh, in the US. That's the US model, it'll be different in different countries. But the basic picture is that we're moving <coughs> to a world where there will be more video coming over the internet and the, the, the internet is capable of delivering that and that will be available on any screen so what we see a lot of people obviously are talking about you know trying to sell you tv services uh clever tvs that have the internet built in and i think it'll be different i think the the tv essentially will become a dumb screen or pretty much a dumb screen and that uh, what you'll really do is you'll do your discovery on your personal devices on your on your on your laptops or your tablets and then you'll just throw it to the television and that will become another screen and that's obviously the world that netflix and others are pushing uh, the Samsung's and the others are, are pushing the smart TV alternative, but I think in the end, inevitably, this this, this one will, will, will win out. And the relevance of that to news is that is why many media companies and newspapers are working... No, yeah, because basically uh, a lot of that video that is going to come on the over the top is going to be news information video and information from social networks. So, Bella are, su- are suggesting it's going to be 12 times as much and a lot of it will be driven by social networking and news sites. So um, there'll be more demand for video production, there'll be more uh, consumption of video production. And we're already seeing uh, news organizations pushing into creating more video. so um, newspapers no longer calling themselves newspapers, calling themselves news providers uh, starting to hire people to do um, to do video, television. Uh, so this is an example of the New York Times, Wall Street Journal ran whole election night sequence programs last year. Uh, the Wall Street Journal are also training all their journalists with smartphones, with uh, little bits of software, so that they file what they're doing first in video, 15 seconds or so video, and that goes live to um, Worldstream, which is their outlet for that. But it's actually part of just training all their journalists to be multimedia journalists. It's part of changing the culture apart from from anything else. One of the reasons for that is also commercial, because um, at the moment, and I think probably on a continuing basis, there are much higher commercial returns on selling advertising around video than there are around um, the very low rates of advertising around Um, text and image content and because it's harder to make there probably will continue to be a premium around video Um, so the New York Times and others are really investing now heavily in video and not just them there are all the new challenges so um, BuzzFeed just announced um, significant investments in, in video Huffington Post are trying to, to um, have, have launched uh, um, Huffington Post Live so um, trying to make social television essentially um, and reverse engineer that back into, in, into television so it's about becoming multi organisations. So I think in terms to conclude I think in many ways uh, After a lot of change, the underlying pillars are now in place for what I call the post-PC era, which is really just shorthand for a more mobile, (coughs) more multi-platform, more fluid new ecosystem. So what that amounts to, I think, firstly, um, we have access uh, pretty much from anywhere now. So even underground, it's obviously coming to planes when you're flying. It's pretty much nowhere to be able to get high-speed broadband access to the network itself. It will get stronger. More reliable over the next few years. Secondly, accessing that network, we have many, many more possibilities than than, than we did. So we'll have multiple devices, multiple screen sizes, um, everything from the um, you know big televisions that we talked about down to the smartwatch, uh, and. As a news provider, you absolutely will not survive if you only focus on one of those platforms. If you focus on just you know the printed platform or just the PC, um, so you need to, but not necessarily be hitting all of those, but you need to be hitting the majority of those where your audience, where customers expect you to be. Secondly, uh, thirdly, the the global networks. So um, we've talked about them already. They're they're huge. They can they can enable your business to grow, or if you ignore them. Uh, they will allow other people to squeeze you out. Um, Fourthly, this one's kind of really important, people now I think really understand the grammar of a lot of these services. Things like social media was really quite hard for them to get their heads around, Uh, touch and swipe, you know, it's taken a bit of time for people to learn it, but I think broadly people have got it now and that's the point at which things can really take off, both the commercial and the creative possibilities. And then the final one, which I talked about earlier, we don't quite have yet, but in a couple of years I think we'll be in that situation where the the mobile phone will enable much more frictionless payment and that will change a lot of things too. In terms of responses, um, I think that... Um, what you're seeing generally for mo- for a lot of news organisations is them um, embracing this idea of uh, you don't start with platform anymore. You don't start with newspaper or broadcast. You start with the service or the values that you that you're you're about, your distinctive proposition, and then you express that. You think then about what platforms make sense to communicate on. Um, And that's how most companies are reorganizing. So um, that's how newsrooms are reorganizing in a content-neutral way, with these spokes where people think about platforms or audiences, but the core is platform-neutral. You know, it's the core and your core values, uh, your 24-hour news operation, and then you package for different devices or audiences. So we're seeing that. Secondly, speed matters as much as accuracy, uh, as well as accuracy. And, you know, to some extent, obviously that depends on the platform and circumstances. Not all news providers will want to compete on speed. But if you're a big serious national or international player, given the trends that I talked about earlier, you will want to be competing on speed at some degree at least. And so you need to work out how to balance your values with the need for speed. Um, and work out how you, how you manage that trade-off between maintaining your credibility and trust, which is essential, for you to be successful and being sufficiently fast to meet audience expectations. The third one is uh, multimedia, not monomedia. So um, we found at the BBC it was very, very hard to get people um, who were broadcast journalists to think about doing text when we moved to the internet. They just didn't really get it. We needed to really skill people up differently. Uh, for newspapers, the challenge now is how do, how do they get people to think visually? How do they get people with those new skills? So depending on where your starting point is, um, you'll need to do things differently. Conversation, not broadcast. Um, I, I, I did have not broadcast, but I th- actually it's both, I think. I, th- I think it's not conversation replacing broadcast. It's you still, you know, we're still set up to broadcast, um, but, and that's important for a lot of things. But in addition to that, you need to have that ongoing dialogue to improve your journalism, to tell stories better um, and to build communities of interest. And then finally, um, I think there's quite a big amount of thinking going on about the skills and structures that you need to deliver the the change, given that this is, you know, I think a a really fundamental change. Um, That's partly about the recognising the increasing importance of technology, bringing some of those technologies into the newsroom. It's thinking about design as an experience, as a really important part of the mix, and a creative partner. Um, And so a lot of that is about breaking down those internal silos where people are either seen as technical or editorial or commercial, and trying to find ways of joining that up in ways that don't damage the credibility of the product. So uh, that's it, a whole load of points and uh, interested in your reactions.